Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Family Business Today podcast, where every family business has a story to tell and a step to take to not only thrive, but working together, create a lasting family legacy. I'm your host, Greg Lewis. Our guest today is Stephanie Stuckey. Stephanie is CEO of Stuckey's, a roadside oasis famous for its pecan log rolls. Stuckey's was founded by Stephanie's grandfather, W.S. Stuckey Sr. in Eastman, Georgia in 1937 and grew to over 350 stores by the 1970s. The company was sold in 1964. Stephanie purchased Stuckey's in November of 2019 and today serves as its CEO and spokesman. Stephanie has worked as a trial lawyer, served seven terms as a Georgia state representative, ran an environmental nonprofit law firm, held the Office of Director of Sustainability for the City of Atlanta, and taught as an adjunct professor at the University of Georgia Law School. Well, hello, Stephanie. Hey there. Thanks for joining me for this edition of Family Business Today. I've really been looking forward to hearing more about your family business story, although I feel like I should know an awful lot about it since I've lived lived it uh, throughout my growing up years, uh, stopping at Stuckey's across the highways and byways of the South. So let's get started. First of all, I need you to help me solve a family disagreement. You know, families and families and business never disagree. Well... Right. Stuckey's is famous for its nut roll. Some people call it a pecan roll, and some people, including me, call it a pecan roll. You're from Georgia. What do you call Stuckey's nut roll? Oh, my gosh. I hate to tell you, I'm actually going to muddy this debate even <laughs> further, because do you know there are officially four ways you can pronounce that word? Four ways. Wow. Four ways. It's all in the accent of the syllables, right? So <laughs> the syllable. I know that word. Right. Yeah. It's how you pronounce it. <laughs> it's all in the accent. So you can say pecan, 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 or pecan. <laughs> and according to I don't know, the hoop-de-doos at Merriam-Webster or whoever decide these matters, <laughs> none of them are considered the correct pronunciation. I think it's like tomato, tomato, potato, yeah. potato, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's just these certain words in the American vernacular that so. we just seem to mangle. And at first I thought it was based on geography. You know, like people up north are going to say pecan and people yeah. from the south will say pecan. But my business partner, who's from Hawkinsville, Georgia, says pecan. And I'm from Eastman, Georgia. I say pecan and all I right. get untold ribbing for it. You know, all the jokes about, you know, this is what you keep under the bed in case you have to go in the middle of the night. That kind of thing. I get that joke. Here's what my grandfather said is it's pecan when you pick them, pecan when you sell them. Oh, cool. Yeah, I like being, that. You know, it's like, it's like um, New York City. I remember going to New York and seeing on the menu in this really expensive restaurant, they had Vidalia onions. Uh -huh. And I've always known them as Vidalia. And the waiter said, and we have Vidalia onions. And I was like, <laughs> okay, you get to the four-star restaurant, you're going to say Vidalia. So I think in the really fancy places, they may say pecan. 
but I tend to match whatever the person I'm talking to there says. You go. That's and the then also way. sometimes like if I'm saying, I'll say pecan pie, right? Like if you pair it with certain words, yeah. tend to say yeah. it. it's just, it's all over the place. <laughs> the great thing is no matter how you pronounce it, they're delicious. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, let, uh, thank you for that great right? mystery. And I, uh, I can, I can share with my, my daughters around the country that, uh, that, uh, uh, in my world, pecan is going to be, be the word that we use, but, but seriously though, uh, you talk, you mentioned briefly your grandfather, Mr. W.S. Stuckey and, uh, the incredible history of Stuckey started back in 1937, which was before a year in my time, but he started mm -hmm. it with a pecan stand. Tell us a little bit about the history of Stuckey's. I'd be delighted. So we were founded during the Great Depression. And I love to highlight that because we're in tough times right now. Maybe we're not mm -hmm. in a depression and hopefully not in inflation, but hard times, I think, is really when it tries the metal of your soul and people have to roll up their sleeves and figure out how they're going to make ends meet. And it's it's like that Dickens saying, it's the best of times, it's the worst of times. And he had to drop out of law school. He had just finished two years and they couldn't afford to keep him in school. He dropped out of the University of Georgia, he had to go back down to middle Georgia and he was cotton farming, miserable in the hot Georgia sun. And he wanted a way out and he decided he was going to get a job, any job. And he had all sorts of side hustles. He was selling college rings door to door. He was selling railroad cross ties. He was inventing, uh, he made up a gadget where you could figure out what the price of gas was. This is before they, if you oh, filled wow. up gas, you know, automatically tallied. He had this he had this device he created that would easily help you calculate based on whatever the price of the gas per gallon was that week, how you could calculate your total cost. He was, al he was always doing that sort of side hustle stuff. And one day a man said to him, uh, it was a pecan sheller down in, in Eastman named Mr. Bennett. And he said, well, if you'll go around the countryside, it's a bumper crop year. Now, pecans have on and off years. It was an on year. He said, go around, pecans are plentiful. Jobs are rare, but pecans are everywhere. So go around and buy up pecans and then sell them to me. And I'll give, you can mark up the price a penny or two. So that's what he did, but he didn't have any money to buy the pecans. So he, he got a $35 loan from his grandmother and he just had a Model A Ford and it, it wasn't a pickup truck or anything, but he, he managed to sort of, refigure it and put some storage in the back. I think he took some parts out. So he did what he had to do with what he had. And he started in the pecan business. He did that for years, buying and selling pecans after farming all day long on the cotton fields. And he earned up enough money where he could start selling pecans on his own. And he would sell them on the side of the road and he would have them shelled and in shell and pieces. And he had the bright idea one day to make candy and he didn't know how to make candy. And so he interrupted my grandmother's bridge game and said, let's make candy. She didn't know how to make candy, but she and her bridge club actually went in the kitchen and those ladies figured out how to make pralines, divinity, fudge. And wow. they, they came up with this Southern recipe, pecan log rolls. They made those. And for many years, that bridge club became the candy club. 
How about and they that? made the candy <laughs> and that little lean to shack became one store and that became another store. And so he went from there. I'll fast forward 1964 when he sold the company, there were at that point, probably close to 300 stores at our peak. We were at 368 stores. So he sold in 1964 to Pet Dairy Corporation, made a lot of money and retired. But when he, when he sold the company at that point, he had stores in 40 states wow. along every major highway except the Pacific Northwest. He had a billboard company. He had a candy plant and he had a trucking company. He was vertically integrated. He didn't own or operate any of the stores, but he exclusively sourced all their merchandising. He had a distribution facility. He sourced all the product and marked that up. He had an exclusive deal with Texaco and he got a, he got a percentage of every gallon sold from Texaco. So wow. he just had all these different pieces that he integrated to create what was really the first roadside retail chain right. in this country before Pilot, before TA, before Loves. And I just feel so strongly about just telling that story because it's been lost to time. We oh, were, wow. were taken over by the court. I mean, he sold the company and then there was a hostile takeover by another company. So Stucky's just became this, this side note, like whatever happened to you mention, are there any Stuckies? Whatever happened to them? Mm -hmm. And so I just felt like we got to tell that story and not only tell the story, let's revive the story. Let's make it mm. happen again. Oh, wow. Well, th thank you for sharing that. Uh, um, you know, it's, I agree with you. It's really important to uh, uh, know the, the backstory because, you know, if you're second generation, third generation, fourth generation, I mean, there's not many people have been around since 1937 to know that. But so, so from, from that story, why do you think it's important for a, for a family businesses to tell the backstory of their family business when they're uh, marketing? marketing, communicating, uh, uh, like you're doing uh, so well? I think people want to do business with people. I know that sounds a little trite. You hear it all the time, but it's true. You buy product because you feel a connection with the product. And to really have brand loyalty, that connection has to run deeper than just the quality of the product or the price of the product. Although certainly those are important factors. But what really creates sticking power and loyalty and that word of mouth marketing where you wanna tell people like, this is so great. You've got to go out and buy Nike sneakers. You got an Apple phone, whatever it is. It's that emotional connection. And I, the only way, in my opinion, you can get that is to share what your values are, what your story is, what makes you special, unique and different. And mm -hmm. it's, it all comes down to storytelling and family brands need to recognize, in my opinion, more that's their superpower. Yeah. Don't run from the fact we've got something really special and that is our heritage. And I'm going to tell that story and it's true and it's honest. It's who we are. And I don't think it matters if you're 20 or 80, you're going to connect with that honesty and that I, I hate sometimes throwing out the word authenticity because everyone says authenticity. Mm -hmm. Authenticity has become inauthentic, but it's authentic. It's your story it's no one else's story so talk about family businesses and talk about the hard stuff because people don't just want to hear the good stuff they want to hear 
the vulnerabilities and the challenges because that's mm -hmm. that's what makes us interesting and to me and relatable. Right, right. Well, talking about the uh, idea of, of challenges and everything else, um, um, you said the, the the family business was bought by a corporation, but uh, you uh, recently, uh, two, 2019, uh, uh, bought the company back. Um, I've heard other families do this. I have to ask you, Stephanie, why you and why now? Why me? No one else wanted it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have never asked, and I don't want to know, how many people turned down the offer. Even though these are my siblings and my cousins, I do know that I called them and asked mm -hmm. if they would go in with me, and none of them were interested. Either they lacked the time, they lacked the finances. For whatever reason, it didn't make sense for them. They mm -hmm. all love the brand. It's not like they didn't love my grandfather and they don't have this connection with Stuckey's as much as I do, but it just wasn't a good fit for them. So, oh, also I'll say I was number four of five kids. Okay. And I'm number five of seven grandkids. And I like to stress that because I think too often in family businesses, there's a sense of the primogenitor dating back to like the feudal system in the middle ages you know the firstborn was always the heir apparent in many cases it was the firstborn male who was always the one who was going to take on the family mantle whatever it was and I, I want to dispel that notion sometimes it's actually better to have someone who's number four who has to fight a little bit more for recognition or the be different and scrappy to be noticed. Not like I was neglected. Trust sure, me. Sure. I was not. I have wonderful family and parents. But I point that out just I, I think it's really essential that you be creative with family businesses. You don't have the sense of it's got to be this direct lineage. It could be a, a second or third cousin. It could actually be a non-family member who runs it and then have family members mm -hmm. who own it. It just depends on the dynamic. So that's why me, I was the only one who literally raised my hand, stepped up <laughs> okay. to and put me in the game. Uh, I think your other question was, why did I do it? Why now? Mm -hmm. Why now? Well, they asked me. So okay. uh, they being uh, just very quick background, my father got the company back in 1985. I was in college at that point. He was running several other businesses. His main business was Dairy Queen. He owned the franchise. Oh, race. really? Okay. Yes. Another great brand, right? Yes. Uh -huh. My dad and his business partners were really successful. They came up with the idea. They went to American Dairy Queen and they said, we will expand your brand to the interstate highway system. They founded Interstate Dairy Queen Corporation and had the exclusive franchise rights to Dairy Queens on the highways in, in the continental U.S. So that was a very successful business. My dad was running that along with a couple of other businesses, a timber company, a small community bank. He had a lot going on. He was not asking for Stuckey's, but Stuckey's was in dire straits. The railroad conglomerate that owned Stuckey's wanted to unload it from their portfolio because it was losing so much money. So my dad, out of family loyalty, largely got this big stinking mess of Stuckey's at that point. Mm 
the candy plant was gone, the trucking company, all of those physical assets were gone. We never really owned or operated any stores. There were just a few family-owned stores, but not corporate-owned stores. So it was a franchise program, and the franchise program was largely a mess. So to my dad's credit, he did what he had to do to keep the company going, mm -hmm. and he paired Stuckies with Dairy Queen. He was co-branding in the mid-80s before that was really a thing. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, nowadays you see that all the time, right? Sure. You'll go to TA, you'll go to Pilot, you'll see Subway, Dunkin', any number of yeah. franchises that are under the same roof with the, with the dominant parent company, right? So mm -hmm. Stuckey's was doing that. It's actually a concept that makes a lot of sense. It's called Stuckey's Express. But over time, it, it didn't do as well because you have to have strong management to make that work. Otherwise, your brand is going to be diluted mm -hmm. under this roof. You have to have a strong sales team, you have to have solid displays and marketing, and you've got to put some money behind the program to make it work. Initially, it did work, but my dad and his business partner sold their Dairy Queen to Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway, wow. in circa 2011, and they left Stuckey's being run by a skeleton crew, really two amazing individuals who kept the company alive. At that point, it was somewhat on autopilot. We had a distribution center that we rent, but they were getting the product run through that. They were managing all these accounts and they were basically just managing what they had. There wasn't a whole lot of aggressive opening up of new accounts, which is keeping what was alive. But roadside retail is extremely competitive. There's constantly uh, changes in ownership and you'll see chains getting bought out by larger chains happens every week in that industry. And so we lost a big 60 store chain. They got bought out. The new owner didn't want to keep Stuckey's. Stuckey's was kicked out. And from that point on, the, the company was losing money. Mm. So for five years, it had, about five years, it had been losing money, six figures in debt. And that's what I bought. That, that's why, frankly, also a lot of other people didn't want to go in with me. It's, I, I was buying a company in severe distress. Mm -hmm. I bought it because if it wasn't me, it was going to fall out of family hands. Sure, sure. So I, I stepped up to the plate. Like I said, I raised All my right. hand, said, put All me right. in. Very good. I'll put do me in, it. Coach. And, I want to play, yeah. <laughs> and here's the thing. If you, if you own a company, you can be the CEO. <laughs> That's right. And I also, didn't have the CEO. It wasn't like I kicked anyone out. We had a CFO and we had a vice president. My dad had retired and he uh, was a chairman of the board and checking in regularly, quite regularly on the phone, but he's in his mid eighties now. He was in his early eighties at the time, late seventies. So he was, he was living the good life. So they, they didn't have a CEO. They didn't have a marketing budget. Mm -hmm. There was, and I just thought with a little bit of love, this brand, the fact that the brand was still around, the fact that we hadn't gone bankrupt, the fact that people were still interested in the brand. I, I Googled Pecan Law Girl. The first thing that popped up was Stuckey's and we hadn't done any real marketing in decades. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That told me this is a brand with just a little bit of love mm -hmm. can take off. And, and I was right. Within six months, we were turning a profit.
a oh, modest right. profit, but I will take a small profit over a, a loss. That's anyway. right. That's right. Especially during the time you had. It. Well, yeah. conti continuing on that that uh, track there, you're talking about. Uh, you, you mentioned, uh, I believe, in a CO letter or something that I read that Stucky's aims to create an experience for those who are traveling on the road. Now, you've mentioned a lot of other brands already of of uh, traveling experiences. What's what's the traveling experience that Stuckey's aims to create, and how has COVID led to any pivots uh, in that uh, uh, since 2020? Well, let me stress what you said, what we aim to create, because we're not there yet. I, sure. Mm -hmm. I think the challenge when you when you buy an existing brand, certainly you get the brand value, but you also have to accept the company as is. So this is not the company that I would have created. It's what I bought. And the reality is that we only have 20 standalone stores. None of them are owned or operated by us. Mm -hmm. We really don't even have a franchise program. It's a licensing program because we okay. don't have an operations system. So the stores have a long way to go. This is largely aspirational, but my vision, and I'm calling it the Stuckey's Oasis, is really an experience that you'll pull over and we'll have some fun things for the family. We'll have coin-operated amusement machines like Zoltar. Remember the fortune teller? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I met the guy who makes Zoltar machines and I so wanna have Zoltar. So we'll have coin-operated vending machines. We'll have travel brochures. I'm so in love with that whole idea of just the road trip and looking at the physical brochures where you can open them up and you know they're all folded up and you pull them out and you see all these beautiful images and you just have the sense of exploring these fun places across America so in every Stuckey's back in the day when you walked in there'd be this whole array of travel brochures we'll have really good but a, a simple menu but good quality food, not a lot of seating, but some seating, not sit down full service. We're not going to compete with Cracker Barrel. I think they do that very well. We're not uh -huh. going to do full service, but a quick meal, an affordable meal, wonderful candy and snacks that we make ourselves. I think that's really what is our signature is that we make our product ourselves. Certainly you want clean restrooms. I also want to stress, we want to be welcoming to truckers. Some places on the interstate specifically say they don't want truckers. I, I welcome truckers. I, I don't foresee us having this large footprint, 20,000 square foot store with trucker showers and uh, shower, uh, uh, lounges and all that. But I want us to have spots where truckers can park overnight. And I want to have good, healthy food options that are affordable for people on the road, especially people like truckers who live on the road. I want to show respect I want to have EV charging. I'm an EV driver. Okay, all right. I want to have a dog park. I'm pitching to investors to see if we can get the financing and the management capacity that we would need to make that a reality. But that's that's sort of my vision for the future. How we're driving our revenue now is the sale of our product. And we're getting in, it started out hundreds. Now we're in the thousands of retail partners who will sell our pecan snacks and candies and in January of this year, I, I got a business partner. So he and I jointly own Stuckey's and we bought a pecan processing and a candy manufacturing plant. 
we're exporting pecans as well. And then we also have a fundraising business with several hundred clients. And we, we sell pecans as fundraisers for charities, churches, schools, you name it. Wow, you're definitely uh, uh, taking the Stuckey's brand and taking it down through a lot of uh, uh, ways to pivot and to uh, to expand your business. That's great. Well, uh, but, you know, uh, Stephanie, you had a, a, a wonderful career prior to becoming the CEO owner at Stuckey's. I understand you worked in the field of law. You served as, I believe, a Georgia state representative an environmentalist, and you even taught law. Uh, how yep. have these experiences outside the family business helped you run your family business today? Well, I, one of the things I really want to stress is that I made a career pivot at age 53. Mm-hmm. And some people shy away from their age, women especially, but I'm really proud of the fact that I'm 53. I've made it this far. High five. I hope I yeah. make it 53 more. That would be awesome. And I'm the exact same age or was as Ray Kroc when he acquired the McDonald's franchise opportunity. All right. He had been a a salesman for milkshake equipment, right? So you can make a pivot later in your life. You just draw upon the skills that you build up through your other careers. I think the important takeaway is not as much the subject matter expertise because I did criminal defense law, environmental law. Like you said, I was a state representative, but you build on the skill sets. And one of the things I learned, especially environmental law and, and in politics, is the ability to stand up and advocate for the underdog. And that's what Stucky says. We are a scrappy fighter coming up against some really big, powerful corporations that dominate the interstate highway exits now. And not like I'm trying to bring them down. Uh, not at all. And in fact, many ways, I, I joke that there's a collaboration between us because I would love it if some of these retail operations that we all know on the side of the road would sell our product. I, I don't plan on having hundreds of locations. My goal is to have maybe 20 of these Stuckey's Oasis stores that would just be very brand forward, market the brand and sell our product. Our way of making a profit and moving this company forward is really through the sale of product that we make ourselves or that we especially curate to our specifications. We have a lot of wonderful merchandise and we're all about the road trip. So I see that is the way that we can really bring the brand forward and just drawing on my skills, you know, politics, you're constantly selling yourself, selling your issues, marketing, promoting what you stand for, more importantly, what your district stands for. And so you carry those sales skills over into what you're, what I'm doing today. I read a great book by Daniel Pink. I think it's called Always Selling, but it, it's got selling in the title. Mm-hmm. I should reread it. I read it a few years ago. But the premise of the book is that really almost every career that people do, with, with rare exception, you're selling. You may be selling a product, you may be selling a service, you may be selling something that you do or your company does, but those salesmanship or saleswomanship, I guess, skills, they translate to anything you do. If you're able to do that, you can be a success in almost any field. Very good. Very good. Well, hey, um, you... 
you didn't necessarily take the traditional way of a son or daughter becoming the next generation family business owner. <laughs> what what yeah. advice would you give to a son or daughter or another family member who might be considering joining their family business one day and, and eventually become the next generation family business owner? I think it's important to really keep an open mind and respect like not everyone is cut out for family business. I think there's a lot of pressure that comes with family businesses, especially if the business has your name and especially if the business has a certain amount of public recognition. There's this expectation on you that you will take over this business, right? And I just saw it's been in the news in Georgia where I live that the Kathy family, Truett Kathy, founder yep. of Chick-fil-A, mm -hmm. and then his son, Dan, ran it. And Dan just handed the reins over to Adam Kathy, who is, I think, 44, which is okay. old enough, but still young to take on a company like Chick-fil-A. And it's super exciting. He grew up in the business. He, I read his background. He certainly seems like he's qualified. And, and his dad's not like totally going away. So I think there'll be a good change of leadership. Uh, but also, I think there's a lot of times with businesses like that, there's just the pressure that you're going to be the one to take it on. And I think my advice would be relax. Don't feel this overwhelming burden, because if it is a burden and not a passion, you shouldn't do it. It's going to wear you out. I am completely passionate about doing this. And there are days when I feel just completely exhausted and I have to take time to keep my cup full, keep my energy level high. And that's with me being super excited and passionate about it. So I think you really have to want to do it. And if you don't want to do it, give yourself the grace and the freedom and forgiveness to say, that's okay. Yes. Maybe there's someone else who can do it. Yeah. The worst thing you can do is force someone into doing something <laughs> that they don't want to do. It will eventually fall apart. Good. Uh, that's great to hear you say that. Grace doesn't always just something on Sunday. It, it's something we have to do in our family and in our business. Well, well, uh, yes. you've already told us a little bit about some of the business acquisitions and some of the future look of, of for Stuckey's. How about Stephanie? What's the future look like for you? Well, I... I'm so tied in with this company that I think my, my future is the company's future. We're so aligned, yeah. but I will, t I will answer the question this way, uh, telling a story about a company at Meyer. Uh, so I'm one of these people, I learn better by storytelling, mm -hmm. which is why I do I it, it so much myself. So more so than the finances of a business, I'm interested in what's the story of the business. That's how I learn. And I've been... I have been a student in these past couple of years of business businesses that I admire and I'm studying the story of the business, the story of the founders and what made them tick and what lessons can I learn in my own entrepreneurial career journey. So one I was really fascinated with, there's a documentary about Steve Madden, who is a shoe designer. I don't know if you've heard of him. Mm. I'm very much the Arab the Steve Madden Mary Jane shoe was hugely popular when I was 
in high school and college. Everyone wore his shoes and he's still you know, a very well-known brand. Well, Steve Madden was a shoe designer. He was a creative. He had a great idea. He had great design sense. He, he, had, he was a bit of a drifter early, early in, you know, like his, his late teens, early 20s and fell upon, you know, shoe retail and grew up in the ranks and realized this is what I can do really well. Started making shoes literally like in his kitchen and built up this business that became an empire, but he didn't have a business background and he wasn't interested in the business background or running the business itself. He actually made some mistakes. He ended up going to, to uh, prison for a brief spell uh, related to a Wall Street investor fraud. It was in um, it was in a movie, in fact. Uh, what was it? The something on Wall. Uh, gosh, now I'm forgetting it. The Lion of Wall Street was that Lion it? of Wall Street, right? Mm -hmm. Lion of Wall Street. He's he's depicted in that as fictionalized, but very much based on real life scenarios. And there is a Steve Madden in the movie. Wow. So. I tell the Steve Madden story, not so much that I want to replicate the fraud and <laughs> going to prison. I actually really admire him because he got out of prison and he was a reformed man. And especially if you're a Christian, you believe people have a right to a second chance on life. And he handed over the reins of his company to someone else to be CEO. And he became chief brand officer, chief designer. Mm -hmm. That's what he wants to do. That's what he loved doing. Yeah. Another person I admire is Bobby Brown. Bobby Brown makeup. Oh, yeah. She was the same way. She was a makeup artist. She loved helping people look beautiful in a natural way. She really was the first makeup company to come up with these designs. I mean, the, uh, a palette for your skin and your face that was natural, not these bright oranges and pinks that are not found naturally. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. She came up with this product and it just took off and she ended up selling to Revlon and uh, was happy not having to run the company, but being more of the creative. So I tell those stories as examples of, I ideally could see myself just being the chief brand officer, being the person who tells the story of Stuckey's, but we've got to be in a more stable position. Mm -hmm. We've got to get higher up more management, but yep. I'm, I'm not like this power, you know, hungry. I've got to be the CEO. I'm perfectly comfortable doing what I think I do best and letting other people do what they do best and mm -hmm. play their strengths. Very good. Very good. Do what you do best, do what you love doing, and then hire people that are smarter than you to do the things that, that you uh, don't like to do. So, uh, uh, but that, again, yeah. that, that comes with time. Well, let's, you, you, uh, I, I love uh, following you on Facebook and social media. Uh, uh, you, you travel the back roads of America and in your posts, you talk about the weird and quirky stuff you find during your travels on travels what's the weirdest quirkiest place you have discovered oh my god many i think i'll just talk about the most recent sure which is the lunchbox museum in columbus georgia oh. it is the world's largest collection of lunchboxes and it also houses the rc cola museum and the radio hall of fame for the state of georgia all under one roof in this wow. quirky 
curio cabinet type stores. So the front of the place is a, oh gosh, it's like a thrift store, but it's got, <laughs> it's a higher end than a thrift store, but they uh -huh. just have all sorts of eclectic collectible type stuff. And then you go in the back room and there's two big rooms that are filled wall to wall plus they have center aisles too nothing but lunch boxes hundreds and hundreds of lunch boxes like every lunch box ever made and the guy who founded it is in his 80s he just hangs out there he's there to talk to you tell you about the lunch boxes <laughs> he bought someone's collection it was part of an estate and there were a lot of people vying for the lunchbox collection and he told the widow well, if you'll sell to me, I'll make it into a museum and I'll make it available to the public. The other buyers weren't going to do that. So he got this collection to start the museum and then it just snowballed from there. I highly recommend it. It's called the Lunchbox Museum. You can Google it. Follow me on Instagram. I've got some pictures of it. It's super fun. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to tell my daughter, uh, Becca, who's an actor in Boston, um, her purses are all uh, uh, metal lunch boxes from all kinds of characters from the uh, 60s, 70s, or whatever. I love so it. I'm going to have to let her know. I'll let her know about that. Well, and you also, know, the, a lot of the lunch boxes there are for sale. Any lunch box that's a duplicate will uh -huh. sell the duplicate. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Well, I will make sure that she knows about maybe a birthday present coming. Her birthday is in October. We'll see about that. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, I could talk on uh, with you, Steph, all day. I really appreciate you being being my guest. But what are some closing thoughts you'd like to share with our uh, family business listeners? I would just say take pride, excuse me, take pride in being a family business. I had a post today on uh, this week on LinkedIn that said putting the family back in family business. Yes. Now I've already said, don't feel overly stressed or pressured if you don't want to go in the family business. But having said that, if you have the passion for it, dive in and do it. And I think we should celebrate more that we're a family business if, if or that you have a family business. And that family businesses are everywhere. They're not just ones that bear the name of the family. I, I hear from people all the time who tell me the stories of their family businesses. The other thing I would point out is what's interesting to me, our story is unique and that we lost our business and we got it back. Yes. And you don't usually see that. Usually you can't afford to get it back or it's trashed and there's nothing to get back. The fact that we bought ours back and we're reviving it that's a different story and I've been hearing from other family business legacy members who really bemoan the fact that they lost the business their dad sold their grandfather sold mm -hmm. grandmother whatever but they sold the business and they want it back so I'll also say if you're listening out there and you want your family business back do it do <laughs> take it, it back no one's going to love it like you are. No one's going to care for the brand, know the history, know the family, know what you stand for, have the values that you're going to have. And so if you can, if you have the resources, if you have the capacity, go for it. Put the family back in family oh, I, business. I, I love that. I love that. I love that. And after all, you said uh, your name 
is on the door, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, my name's up on that billboard. It is. It is. It's on that candy box. It's everywhere. Well, Stephanie, thank you for being my guest on Family Business Today. Please accept our best wishes for continued success for you and for Stuckies. Well, it's truly my pleasure, Greg. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, to learn more about Stuckies, visit their website at www.stuckies.com. And please follow Stephanie Stuckey on social media to learn more about the weird and quirky stuff she discovers on her travels along the highways and byways of America. And also to keep you updated as, as uh, Stephanie uh, uh, builds uh, the family business brand. To our listeners, thank you for joining us for the Family Business Today podcast, brought to you by the Tennessee Center for Family Business located in Nashville, Tennessee. Our passion is to help families create a positive environment where the family thrives, the business performs, and working together create a lasting family legacy. Whether you're a business owner looking to grow your family business or you are wanting to prepare to someday sell or transition the business to the next generation, check out our free resources on our website at www.tncfb.com. If you want to talk to a family business advisor about your specific family business needs, schedule a 30-minute no-cost call by sending us email to info at tncfb.com. If you want to talk, we will listen. So until next time, thanks for joining us.